Greetings to all of you in the name of Christ. It's good to be here. Some time ago I was assigned a topic, in fact it's been about 10 years or more, that I was assigned a topic prior to an ordination. And uh, the title of the topic was Values That Build Unity in the Congregation. I've used this message quite a few times and I want to use it again tonight. Oh, but before we do that, of course, we need to do our memory work. Nearly forgot. All right. Uh, can you quote it without your Bibles? I don't know. If you need your Bible, look. Look at it if you need to. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Let's all stand together. All right? You're doing a good job. Oh, is there anybody brave enough that says, you know, I can do this? Anybody brave? I know how it goes. Stage fright. You think? Well, you can do it in the barn just fine. I know how that goes. All right, we won't have anybody do it. Let's go ahead and say it together. You ready? If ye then be risen. Here we go. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Thank you and God bless you. Don't ever forget those verses. Fix your affection. Set your affection on things above. Values or principles that build unity in the congregation. Where would we go to discover established ideals of life? The, 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 the definition for values is established ideals of life. It would be ways to live and think about life. Where should we go as Christians to find established ideals of life? Well, clearly we would go to the scripture. So how you should act, how you should relate to your brethren here at this congregation, does it matter how we behave ourselves in the congregation, in the church? And the answer is yes. So I think it's important to think that through. Principles, what are principles or values? A, a principle is a truth that's a foundation for other truths. One principle that's built upon another principle and it, it becomes a foundational truth, a fundamental, a primary or a general truth. To build, of course, is to make by putting materials together. So we're talking about principles uh, that we're gonna put together and, and we're gonna make things, we're gonna build it. We're, we're going to build one thing after the other. Now, unity is the factor, the quality of being one. You know that. You understand how that works. It's concord between two or more persons. If there's just one person, there's no need for discussion because you've thought the ideas through. You know what ought to be done, and there's no discussion about unity. But as soon as you inject another person into the equation, now you have to agree. And how are you going to work together? That's important. A congregation is, like Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. So I see this message this evening as discussing necessary truths that are fundamental to develop a harmonious union of an assembly of believers. That's exactly what you have here. Now, your congregation has a life similar to others, but it's unique in that it's probably not the same as the one down the road or another congregation in your conference. It's probably different in a little bit of, you know, a few different details. That's okay. 
At the same time, I understand that as, as you work together, your goal is to build unity together. Tonight, I want us to see that there are necessary truths that spring from the Scripture that are already revealed will of God versus values determined by society. There are things that God has already said. There is, number two, a harmonious congregational unity that is necessary or is a result of a collective obedience to Christ. And I would say also that this congregation, Bethany, is the specific group that I'm speaking to. So I want to speak to you in principle tonight, and I hope you can take the principle and then make the application, because I don't know all of your applications. You know them better than I do, and I don't want to confuse application. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't know your group personally as well as someone else may, but that doesn't even really matter because many of the Bible principles are necessary for us all to work together. What are the foundational truths necessary to build upon for unity to be the net result so we end up where we want to go? See, I, well, I don't even remember if I said this or not, but when you plan a trip, you have to decide what your destination is before you leave. you got to know where you want to end up. If you just drive down the road and say, well, this looks like a nice corner, I'll turn here. So you go that way a while, and then after a while, you say, well, oh, well, here's a nice corner, and you go that way. And who knows where you'll end up? You don't even know where you're going to end up because you're not planning ahead. There has to be some planning ahead. I'm suggesting tonight that there are four things that I'd like to have us examine. Number one, humility. Number two, love. Number three, patience. Number four, contentment. Uh, humility is the humbleness of mind, the lack of pride and a meekness. Love is the fond or tender feeling, a warm affection, one for another, that you care about one another. And patience is the willingness to put up with waiting or pain or anything that annoys. Contentment is the state of being satisfied. I want us to think, first of all, before we go any further about the concept of unity a little bit further, what is it? How is it achieved? Now, the first time that the word unity actually occurs is in Psalm 133. So please turn to that uh, Psalm 133. And I understand, folks, tomorrow's the Lord's Day. Tomorrow morning is church, and I'm always anxious to, to come together with the saints for Sunday morning worship, and so I'm going to do my best to go as fast as I can to get through this sermon as quickly as possible. But I do want to communicate the message of the gospel. The first place you see the word unity is actually uh, found in, in, in Psalm 133, verse uh, one, where it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. It completely, uh, 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 it seems like, drenched him. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, that's the first spot that you ever find the word unity in the Bible. I think that's interesting. 
There's some more verses I'm going to, you can turn to them if you can be real fast, because I've got them in front of me and I'm going to use them. John chapter 13, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So that causes us to reflect. What kind of love did Jesus have for you? Were you nice? Were you pure? No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the scripture teaches us. So, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Now, there's going to be more on that later. In Romans 12 and verse 16, again, we're talking about some general references that refer to unity. It says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. Don't try to be, you know, well, I'm a... I'm a little bit smarter than he is. Be careful about that. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Um, Someone has said like this, and I'm going to read this so I get it right. There's nothing disrupts harmony as much as seeking glory. When every man detests a base estate and ambitiously seeks to be exalted, do not be puffed up in an opinion of your own wisdom, unquote. I like that. Chrysostom was known for his gentle manners and for the kind of person that he was. He said this, he said, and I quote, enter into each other's circumstances in order to see how you would yourself feel, unquote. Chrysostom was one of the early leaders in the church. You can learn how to feel your brother's uh, feelings. You need to work at being sensitive and be a good listener. Sometimes I catch myself and I do it. I don't like it. I'm, 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 I'm listening to what somebody says, kind of. And you know what? I'm ready to say what I want to say. And he's not done talking yet. Well, now, come on, Dave. That's not very respectful, is it? No, it's not. And so what needs to happen is you need to be a good listener, hear, and think. Don't be like the lady I rode with on the airplane one time. She was a Christian science person, and uh, she asked me where I was going. I told her I'm going to preach. I don't remember where I was going anymore. And, and she told me, she said, well, she's just coming back from a Christian science conference. And I said, would you please tell me, I'd like to know more about your religion. What has your Christian science religion done for you? She never uttered a word. It was as though she didn't hear me. We're halfway into the flight, and she turns to me and she said, I guess I never thought of that before. This was at least a half hour later. I didn't even know what she was trying to talk about. I mean, it took a lot. She, I thought that was a little exaggerated. But anyway, she listened, I guess, and anyway, she didn't know. And so I testified to her what I thought Jesus Christ is to me, and how he has saved me from my sin, and I shared the gospel with her. I hope that you can say why you love the Lord and what the church and and the gospel of Christ has done for you. I think it's the goal of every leader in the congregation, in any congregation that functions in the church's service, to see harmony develop and grow. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Please turn there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, I love word studies, and I, I, I looked a little bit more at this today. This verse, when it says no divisions, the word there in, in the Greek is, is schism. Uh, the word schism or schism, actually in the Greek I believe it is, I can't remember. But anyway, that word has to do with a concept of a tear. Uh, and, and if you take fabric and you pull on it, it will pull apart where the weak connections exist. And then the next thing it says, but that ye be perfectly joined together. The English uses three words to describe one word. It means seamlessly without seams, put together. So, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind. And that means in the seat of our understanding to render ourselves fit and complete before God. We need to work at that, that we're perfectly joined together. It doesn't come naturally because we all think our opinion is right. That's just the way it is. So we have to work together. It takes a lot of effort. And I think it's important that we think about that. Now, the next thing that I want us to notice is that there ought to be one harmonious whole. All together, we should be together. We should have the same care one for another. Uh, I believe that's a little bit further in this passage. Then it goes on further in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and there it says the same thing. Be of one mind, live in peace. And the concept there is to live peaceably. What do you do when good brethren who love one another don't see eye to eye? It happens, folks. That's the way sometimes it is. And what my brother sees, I may not see. I need his perspective and he needs my perspective. And together we're going to have to come out at a spot where we can together walk together. That's important. In Ephesians 4 it says that we ought to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now we're told to stand fast. Not as an isolationist, but rather in one spirit. This is harmony. This is unity. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Not fighting one another. Now I know, I know, there can be incidents that make it very difficult. And I, I think it's probably fair to say that some of this COVID stuff has caused pressure among us. But I would urge you to consider what I'm saying tonight in principle. I want to examine some principles. Number one, humility. In, in Romans 12, 16, we already had that scripture, but it says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Now, how can a person develop into a person of an humble mind? See, we all have the idea that we're right. And so we kind of feel like, you know, he might be 52% right, but we're 52.1% right. See, I, but it's possible to develop, I think, into a person of an humble mind. I'm taught in my American culture that I need to be assertive. 
The way I'm going to succeed is I'm just going to have to assert myself. Well, that is the way of the flesh. And that really is exaggerated in our culture today. It takes the power of God. It takes the new birth. We need to exercise effort in the matter. We need to refuse to accept ourselves as an excuse for our own selfish behavior. Don't use the excuse, well, that's just the way I am, and if you don't like it, get used to it. I can't help it. Now, what you just did is admitted the problem, but you're willing to live where the problem is rather than address it through the power of the Lord. That's a problem. Within the church, that's a problem. You have to think about that. Refuse to accept yourself as an excuse for your own behavior. Now listen, I know, I have traits. Uh, I heard a preacher say one time, all of our feet stink. We all have our negatives. It's true. There's none of us can say, I'm always right. No, we can't. We have to be careful. And so, you, you, you don't use that excuse of saying that's just the way I am and everybody's going to have to learn to live with me. No, what you just said is the world has to revolve around you and that is not the way of the, the, the disciple of Christ. In Matthew 23, verse 8, it says, Be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Okay? All ye our brethren. I think that's a serious matter. Now, somebody said people are strange. They want the front of the bus, the front of the bus, the back of the church, and the center of attention. I think that's about right. They, they want the front of the bus, but they want the back of the church, and they, and now if you're in the back bench, please don't take offense at what I just said, but you understand the point. No, I don't want to get too far ahead. There's some people that, well, no, they wouldn't want to get too involved. And they like the center of attention. Not everyone can be the center for attention, folks. It can't happen. It won't happen. And so if that's the, the mindset that you have, be careful, because a subject that we're talking about tonight has to do with humility. In fact, if that occurs, that's self-gratification. And we're not to be that kind of thing. And if you have self self gratification, disunion is going to grow. Not everyone can be the chief, but all can be brethren. Not everyone can be chief, but all can be brethren. And that's necessary. There's always one chief, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. But we can all be brethren. When you see a dirty bathroom, do your thoughts go immediately to, hmm, Janitor didn't clean very well, did they? No. See that? See what's on the floor? Hmm. You be careful. Why is it that your thoughts immediately go to someone else? Why don't you just stoop down and pick it up and fix it? I think that's necessary. Well, that's not my job. I don't get paid for that. Well, hello. That's the way life is. And even in the church, we're all going to have to give. I told a brother, we was talking about, about issues this week, and I told him, I said, we all have to be willing to go beyond 50%. We all have to give that much. We all have to go beyond. 
We just have to. When you see paper on the floor, pick it up. When you see things out of place and you know that it's rearranged and it's not the way it ought to be because it's not going to work, well, dig in and help. Go ahead. I think so. Work with what's being done. Don't expect others to revolve around you. Jesus forbade his followers the distinction of titles. You know, there were some of them that enjoyed being called rabbi. He said, don't do it. He forbade them the honor of being called by titles for the purpose of distinction and merit. Rather, Jesus said, call each other brethren. There's a unity, there's a common place, there's a level playing field indicating a parity and an equality that's not characteristic of human tendency. Pride encourages titles. Titles encourage pride at times. Pride corrupts the character of a man. Pride betrays trust of the group. Pride defends myself. Pride destroys the unity that I ought to be building. Individual pride of heart destroys mutual oneness. Being and acting as brethren is necessary if unity is going to be the result of your Christianity. Men find it difficult to admit that they're no better than their peers. We're all brethren. There was a study one time done. I just find this really funny. Between 60 and 70 percent of people said that they're above average. Are you good with math? You with me? We all think we're a little bit better than average, or many of us do, unfortunately. Now listen. Yes, some of these brethren have been called to ordination. God has placed someone in leadership responsibility, but all are brethren. It's important. Uh, again, uh, ordination calls you to responsibility, but it does not exalt you as above a brother. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. This is, this is an incident with Abraham and Lot. And I want you to follow along carefully. Genesis 13, verses 1 through 13. Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and Lot with him into the south. Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning he, between Bethel and Ai and to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And Lot said... And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Uh, by the way, I noticed he didn't build an altar. Lot didn't. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. Um, and Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. And between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or, if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, were 
Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even at the, as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now I want you to notice some things about this. I think this early story already teaches us about the concept of humility. Verse 2, wealth is part of the equation. It can be, even today. Wealth is not wrong in itself, but it can be used times as leverage, and it ought not be. Abraham didn't. Verse 3, the difficulty occurred during the normal activity. They were, they were grazing their cattle. Normal activity. Verse 4, Abraham maintained his spiritual connection with God. Look at verse 6. They couldn't dwell together. It was a large possessions that hindered them at this point. And in verse 7, it was clear that contentment was needed. Abraham's response was, we be brethren. It was Abraham's reaction to a difficulty. And he, instead of defending his position, he said, listen, we're brethren. Abraham said in verse 8, let there be no strife, for we be brethren. I like that. Abraham's mind, his relationship with Lot took precedence over raising cattle. Yes. But somebody needed to take the leadership, and he did. He could have said, now listen, you little whimper snapper. I know who you are. You'd be nothing if I didn't take care of you. He didn't do that. I think there was humility involved. Yes. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, 7, it asks the question, why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Why? I know why. You know why. Because we're selfish by nature on the inside. That's why. Pride and humility never seem to live in the same heart. They can't. They get along. No, not at all. Pride demands his own way. Humility gives up his way. Pride insists on his own thinking. Humility listens to hear others' thoughts. Pride seeks honor from the group, but humility seeks to serve. Pride sows discord and humility sows respect. There's unity. Oftentimes when there was a victorious Roman general arrived back in Rome after a victory, he was given a hero's welcome and a triumphant parade. But they always hired a philosopher that sat there right beside the victor and told him constantly, they'd constantly whisper to him, you are mortal, you are mortal. Don't forget it. Don't go thinking yourself bigger than you really are. See, pride is the default setting of the human heart. Muhammad Ali, a great boxer in his time, in his prime, he was about to take off in an airplane. The stewardess came through and reminded them to buckle their seatbelts. And he came back brashly and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she stopped, came back and looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane. Fasten your seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> now listen. You don't have to be much of, of a musician to learn how to toot your own horn. Think about the symphony, the orchestra. Think about it. Think about a, a beautiful harmonious group of people with 50 instruments. But if there's one that decides, I want to be heard, I'm good. And I know I'm good. I'm going to show that conductor up front there, I want to be a little louder than everybody else. You know what had happened? 
Couldn't hear exactly what was going on beside him and around him. And the next thing you know, he'd be out of tune. And it'd sound awful. You know it's true. Humility. Let there be no strife, for we be brethren. The second one is love. In Romans 12:10, it says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Oh, it's so important. Oh, brother man, fold to thy heart thy brother. Where pity dwells, the peace of God is there. To worship rightly is to love each other. Each smile a hymn, each kindly deed a prayer. That's John Greenleaf Whittier. Sometimes God allows you to experience difficult things to teach you a lesson to bring him closer to you and you closer to him. Sometimes God allows your brother to experience difficult things so you have the opportunity to share with him and show that you love him. It takes grace to go through the difficulty, but it takes grace also to accept the help of those who care. For all practical purposes, Abraham could have felt justified in considering Lot his enemy, but he didn't. I think he showed him love. Later, Abraham went and rescued Lot when he got taken captive. What does that say about Abraham? I can imagine some of Abraham's men might have said, Why in the world are we going to that spoiled old Lot? He got the best of the land. He got everything he wanted to get. Now you're going to rescue him yet. Love goes the second mile, doesn't it? Yes, he rescued Lot. Sometimes I need my brother to help rescue me. More about that tomorrow morning. Genuine love does not seek profit for himself. Genuine love seeks profit. For everyone's good, not just my brother, but every one of my brothers. We could go through the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. We don't have time at this point. Humility, love. The third one is patience. It's the idea of long-suffering. Willingness to put up with waiting and pain or anything that annoys, troubles, or hurts. There's a calm endurance without complaining or losing my self-control. In Psalm 37, it says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. I, folks, I confess to you, there's times I grow impatient. But it says, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass, cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Patience. Lamentations says, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. 1 Corinthians 13, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Doesn't project himself up. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. 
thinketh only a few thoughts of evil. Ha, uh, thinketh no evil. Folks, I'm telling you, this hits us where we hurt because that's exactly the kind of problems that we have. Everybody faces those issues, folks. I'm asking you to make application to the principle. How many times have we forgotten how much patience past leaders have had toward us during our times of immaturity? Have we forgotten that there were those in our lives that sighed maybe upon observing our behavior at some time, but they were patient with us? We also extend patience. Sometimes we forget how it feels to be the other person's shoes. If we would remember, we'd be much more patient. Stories told of a man's car that was stalled in heavy traffic just as the light turned. And all his efforts to start the motor failed. He couldn't get it to start. And there was a chorus behind him of honking and beeping and whatnot. And some angry fists out the window. And finally he got out of his car and he walked back to the first driver. And he said, I'm sorry, but I can't seem to get my car started. If you'll go up there and try to start, maybe you can get it started. I'll stay back here in your car and I'll blow your horn. Did you hear the poem about the oyster? There once was an oyster whose story I tell who found that sand had gotten under his shell. Just one little grain of sand, but it gave him much pain, for oysters have feelings, although they're so plain. Now, did he berate the working of fate, which had led him to such a deplorable state? Did he curse out the government, call for an election? No, as he lay on the shelf. He said to himself, if I cannot remove it, I'll try to improve it. So the years rolled by, as the years always do, and it came to his ultimate destiny, stew. And this small grain of sand which had bothered him so was a beautiful pearl, all richly aglow. Now this tale has a moral, for isn't it grand what an oyster can do with a morsel of sand? What couldn't we do? If we'd only begin with all of the things that get under our skin. That was James S. Hewitt. Things that get under our skin can become irritations real fast. The fourth item that I want to mention is contentment. In Ecclesiastes 4 it says, Better is an handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Philippians 4. I'd like you to turn to this passage, if you would. Philippians chapter 4. There's Galatians, and then there's Ephesians, and then there's Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. Remember, we're on to contentment now. Humility, love, patience, now contentment. That's the satisfaction we're talking about. The state of being satisfied. Paul says, and remember folks, he's, he's writing this maybe from a rat infested dark dungeon in jail. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. 
Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I told you last night, I think it was, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the next verse says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Sometimes God brings incidents into our lives so that we learn to call upon his grace to find contentment. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Sometimes in our circumstances, we make ourselves the focus and we forget the promise of God that says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Does God's presence bring you contentment? Are you willing to rest in God's leading? Go with me to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. I want to start with verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? Parentheses, I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. You want to start keeping score? I think that's what he's saying. Verse 24, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. 39 stripes, five times. How many stripes have you received? I, I, I haven't. I don't know much about suffering for Christ. Verse 25, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered, suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, bouncing in the ocean, in water. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak, who is offended, and I burn not, I struggle too, I think is what he's saying. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Why? Because God can make a model out of those who cry out for his grace. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Paul could have said, don't they know who I am? He didn't. I think he found contentment, even though his life was difficult. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Folks, what attitude of heart did Paul have toward his persecutors? Paul was not begrudging anyone. He wasn't belly aching. No, he wasn't. 
And I'm telling you, he had it more difficult than I've ever faced. How could he help but rail on some of his enemies? Um, they, they did such nasty things to him. Go with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And folks, I always struggle with my emotions when I read this passage of Scripture. Dear old brother Paul, in verse 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered contentment. I think Paul was, an, was, was, a, was a leader in, 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 in demonstrating humility and patience and love and now contentment. I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure as at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearance. Do thy diligence to come to me. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Why? For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans, see, he went to Galatia. That's what it says, Cretans to Galatia. Titus, where'd he go? He went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Dear old Dr. Luke, God bless him. Take Mark, bring him with thee. Remember when Paul and Mark disagreed? He said, take Mark and bring him with me, thee, for he's profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, Oh, and the cloak, the outer coat that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Folks, you understand, this is a man that wrote down, and he wrote to the churches, and God used him in the epistles. And we're benefiting tonight from the letters that he wrote. He could have said a lot of evil things, but he didn't. Listen to what he says. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Stating a fact. The Lord reward him according to his works. He just left it there. He could have said a lot more. He could have said something like, that dirty guy. And then rehearsed the whole story. That's not how we ought to be, is it, folks? Verse 15, of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Remember, he's writing this under the king whose orders had said, put him in jail. Let him rot in jail. He knew what it was like to suffer at the hand of persecutors. I'm not sure I do. Of whom be thou aware for that greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me when I had to stand before the king. All men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, ah, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. 
The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he says, do thy diligence to come before winter. I'm thinking he's saying, it's chilly in this old damp dark cell. Folks, I don't think I have it too bad. I don't know about you. There's nine requisites for contented living. Health enough to make work a pleasure. Wealth enough to support your needs. Strength to battle with difficulties and overcome them. Grace enough to confess your faults and forsake them. Patience enough to toil until some good is accomplished. Charity enough to see some good in your neighbor. Love enough to move you to be useful and helpful to others. Faith enough to make real the things of God and hope enough to remove all anxious fears concerning the future. And that was written between 1750 and 1830. More of us ought to be like Fanny Crosby. Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. God bless her. In 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. It says in verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, love, faith, meekness, temper, uh, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, but remember yourself is your worst enemy. Don't forget it. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art called also and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Oh God, give me money enough that I can buy a bed, but my money won't buy sleep. No. Have you found contentment in Christ? Or do you look around you and you find unhappiness? Do you live what you know to be practical application of the Bible in your daily activities? I'm asking you folks to think about it. If you don't live daily as the scripture teaches, then your church life is going to also suffer. Are you discovering the rich and varied truths of God's word? Do you live what you know to be practical applications of the Bible? Folks, I think it begs the question. Ask ourselves, who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going? Are you thankful for what you have? Are you living in spiritual victory? In Nebraska, we had a different political office for our governor than what you all have. You've gone through some difficult things. I recognize that. But I would just urge you, by the grace of God, build, build, build. Love, and humility, and patience, and contentment. The opposite of love, you know, is hate. The opposite of humility is pride. The opposite of patience is impatience. And the opposite of contentment is greed. Build the unity that God wants in the church. God bless you all. Let's pray. Father in heaven.
I thank you for this congregation. Father, I know that sometimes life is not easy. I know that there are difficult decisions that need to be made. I understand that, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to take examples from the Scripture and apply them to our own hearts and our own lives. Father, I pray that you'd help every person here, that they would look at themselves and not their brother. They would examine themselves and not their brother. Father, help us not to exalt ourselves above anyone, but rather to be able to work together and call ourselves brethren. Oh God, help us. Help us that our testimony would not be dimmed by our behavior. Give us grace that we would call upon the God of heaven to fill us with what we need for the time. And just like the example of Paul, Father, help us to be discreet. Help us to be wise. Father, it says in your word that if any man lack wisdom, he should ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You will not scold us, God. So we ask you tonight to give us wisdom. I pray that you'd give us the grace we need. In the name of Jesus, amen.